Hello and welcome to the DHMBA podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffer, my man. How are we going? So good. Literally elite. The NBA season is back and I didn't know how much I missed it. Like preseason was there and it was whatever. I mean, it was very whatever. Extremely whatever. We are are back. This is all serious. This is counting towards fantasy points. This is counting towards (laughs) an actual win-loss. It's just... Everything's happening at once. It's this is amazing. I love it. I love that. If it feels, oh, I'm just gonna shut up. It's good. What'd you have for breakfast? We'll have for breakfast. Uh, two pieces of Vegemite toast and a banana. Cause you know, bit of potassium. Start the day right. Okay. Bit of potassium. That's start the day shit right. Joke. I, there's no joke. No, no, I said K. Don't worry. Oh, oh of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Anyway, just science things. I also didn't realize how much I miss basketball. I feel liberated. I feel unchained to be able to just open up my laptop, log into League Pass, and just go. Watch Devontae Graham have 12 assists and average like a solid almost eight assists a game. Yeah, huge. But we're, we're, not, we're not leading. We're yeah, not we're not leading, leading with, with Devontae, Devontae Graham. Graham. Um, one thing I noticed about this season is heading in, um, as, as people know, I'm a Golden State fan, you're a Phoenix fan, and I'm used to heading into a season going like, fuck, what a start. Like the ring ceremony was sick, you know. Well, Kevin Durant's here and like Steph's up to his antics and then you know talking to you you're always like you know Ryan Anderson like he's the sort of, he's the sort of forward you want next to like a good big like this is know. no lie this is actually a conversation that we had like, maybe a year ago I was like DeAndre Ayton next to Ryan Anderson like D'Anthony Melton I'm like, talking myself into flashes it. but like the thing with Phoenix is that you've never really shown flashes like it's always been like oh Devin Booker had 50 points at, in like game 50 but you've never yeah. like had a hot start where it's been like fuck Phoenix like they've got nice jerseys it was, as soon as people start saying like well their jerseys are nice that's how you know you got something good going it was two years ago I think when Earl Watson was our coach and we uh, started the season 0-3 losing yeah. by 40 points in two of the games one and of them was 30 points Portland, in the other one and then uh, Earl Watson was fired after three games and then like four games later we traded Eric Bledsoe to the Bucks. Yeah, that he was, was, like he was the, at the hairdressers. He yeah, said, I don't want to be yeah, here anymore. Out, I don't want to be here anymore. And he was like, no, no, I was at the hairdressers, bro. That was like pretty much the low point of Phoenix Suns fandom when it felt like it couldn't get any worse. Uh, and I'm here as living proof that it does, in fact, get better. Let's just jump into it straight away. This week, we're doing our overreactions from the first week because obviously, small sample size, most teams have played three games so far, so... Um, it's not going to be something that's maybe indicative of the rest of the season. But my Phoenix Suns are 2-2, two and two, and our two losses come away at Denver in overtime by one point, and then today we lost to the Jazz by one point <laughs> in a closely contested game that we kind of let slip down the stretch, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I think the, th- the, the two things I want to talk about from the Suns is... Yeah. The addition of a couple of stable veterans, so specifically Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines, they come in, they just know what they're doing, they don't make mistakes, they just run it to perfection. Ricky Rubio today had like 12, 8 boards and 7 assists. He's just like filling up the stat sheet, not spectacular, just simple. It allows Devin Booker, some of the younger guys, to you know have a bit more of... It's, a bit more it's, professional, it's, a bit more yeah. polished to their game. It's so great having someone that can actually just make the right play just around you and just do the right things rather than like, you know, let's say you're Devin Booker and you're young and you're learning and then you swing it to DeAnthony Melton. Like, it's really hard to try and win when you don't just have like stable pieces there. Yeah. To be fair though, 
last season you signed Trevor Ariza, who was supposed to be like the stable three and D player. Like this is awesome. This is he was pretty much like the perfect poster child for what you want there, mm. and that didn't work. So like you and I that were both work, quite though. critical of yeah. Phoenix's off season thing. I'm like, look, are they doing it again? Like we're sort of like it looks like you got a one way ticket to the treadmill of mediocrity. Mm. But I mean, at the at the very worst case, like you've got hope right now. I mean, yeah. I don't want to speak for you, but well, are you I a bit think hopeful? Ariza wasn't good last year. We also weren't good, so it was easy to equate the two of those things. But now Ariza's in Sacramento, and through four games, he looks completely washed. Mm. Like, he comes onto the team, he comes onto the court for them, and their team is instantly worse. He's not shooting, he can't defend, he can't move on offense. So maybe it was yeah. just Ariza was bad. Baines is the other big addition, who, especially now that DeAndre Ayton has been suspended for 25 games for violating the NBA drug policy, getting Baines in that trade for the 30th pick in, in the draft... Um, in June now looks really really useful and having Baines again he's like Rubio he's someone who can actually initiate like a dribble handoff and it actually gets where it's supposed to go rather mm-hmm. than having some of the people that we've trotted out there in the last couple of years at the five who are just completely useless and then the other thing is that our young players not even necessarily ones that are super highly drafted like Mikael Bridges our first round pick from last year and Cam Johnson, our first round pick from this year, both rangy threes, really, really long, good shooters. They haven't really seen much of the court. The two people who have been the absolute revelation so far is Javon Carter and Kelly Oubre. Javon Carter, who we traded, we traded, pretty much traded Josh, Josh Jackson. Jackson and De'Anthony Melton for Javon Carter. So at the and time, also that was, a salary dump, so yeah, you can go out dump. and get, yeah, so you could get, yeah. Kyle Corver and two second round picks also yeah, in the trade. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work out. But at the time, it was like, pretty weird that we would do that but Javon Carter is a baller he's really really nifty he doesn't force things offensively he takes what's given to him but he's also just another um like another solid player who just can actually execute the really basic things and he's like he's like 23 like going on 40 like he seems really steady for like how also he's bald which like doesn't help his age looking and he also wears one shoe (laughs) one color and another shoe i saw that i saw that is is it yeah i rate it he played four (laughs) years at west virginia and was like you know like a conference player of the year a couple times but one of those dudes who because he came out in the draft at 22 slipped to the second round Memphis picked him up last year didn't really play much but he's been a revelation and the other one is Kelly Oubre who's taken his game to another level he kind of stagnated in Washington last season and then when we traded for him he really really improved averaged like 16 a game played some really really good defense good on the boards real versatile player this Mm. year he stepped it up again um, and he's just like he just looks so good he's cutting so well he's getting open he missed potential game winner today which is a bit like oh but Overall, the signs there are super encouraging. We beat the Clippers yeah. at home the other day, and it like it only ended up being eight points, but it wasn't that close. Like we were leading by fifteen halfway through the fourth, yeah. and then we blew things, up. Things got a bit things got a bit scary. Like when they came back a little bit though, and Kawhi got like two steals in a row. Yeah, and it's like oh Lou fuck, will hit how, two how threes much? In a row. <laughs> Lou will was really pissed off that game as well. Yeah, but I think the like the. The thing which maybe I'm speaking a bit here about the Clippers, but the thing that really stood out to me that game is that um, Devin Booker was not getting anything done on Patrick Beverly and he couldn't do much. And whenever he got a switch or he just happened to be on Landry Shamet, did you say it's Shamet or Shamet? All right. Whenever he was on Landry, you do you, you do you. (laughs) Whenever whenever he was on Landry, like he just cooked him and like he just absolutely just drove straight past him and like he could do nothing about it. Um, and I think like down down the end of that game, Patrick Beverly got his sixth foul contesting a 
pretty bad shot from Devin Booker. Um, and then as soon as he went out, it's like, well, this is sort of over because the only dude that's going to stop, um, well, the only dude that has stopped um, Devin Booker this whole game is just out. And then obviously, yeah, pretty much had a layup line after that. But what was like, what like I mean, we'll go back to Phoenix. But what I was thinking about is like, fuck, you know, they've just lost their second best defender, um, and now like this wing player is just absolutely toasting him. But then I'm like, hang on, they've got Paul George on their team. Like, imagine when like. We haven't even thought about that, really. We haven't even really talked about it because he's going to be out for the rest of the month. But, like, Paul George is going to be on this team. Yeah, well, I mean, their lineup is going to be Beverly, Shamit. Shamit's whatever. He's, like, not a great defender. Yeah. Beverly, Shamit, and then you're going to be looking at Paul, George, and Kawhi Leonard at the forward spots. And then, like, Montrez Harrell, who's a pretty good defender for his size. Like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to match up on a seven-footer. Or if they decide to go with Zubats at the five. Yeah. Also not like an elite defender, but legitimately seven foot one. Yeah, so that's yeah, just a yeah. big dude. Anyway, back to back to Kelly Oubre. Um, none of us picked him for most improved player. None of us were talking about that. Because it wasn't really... But that's sort of how it happens, isn't it? Like, yeah. You, you and I were looking for like the Pascal Siakams or the CJ McCollins. Yeah. But he's sort of like, oh, look, if you didn't, have it, if you didn't do it last year, when are you going to do it? <laughs> if you didn't do it in Washington, when are you going to do it? Maybe he just took a took an extra year to come out of his shell. He's finishing a lot better around the rim, and he's getting some easy buckets off looks from Rubio and Devin Booker. Mm. Um, like some of the dunks he's throwing down just thunderous, which we've always known he's super athletic. But those difficult like around the rim finishes contested, he's converting at a much higher clip. The only thing that needs to come is just he still hasn't developed that consistent three point shot. But he's mm. you know. Last, the second half of last year, his defensive numbers was was like in the you know, borderline like 90th percentile of wings in the league. So he's got that like long, wiry frame, and he's someone who he was defending, uh, alternating between Donovan Mitchell and Bojan Bogdanovic in uh, crunch time today mm-hmm. against the Jazz. So he's you know defending their most dangerous yeah, scorer. Exactly. And I, in our in our big sort of thirty reasons to watch each team post in the blog that we, we put up last week I talked about the Suns and I said that the success of this season is going to come down to the the three wing rotation that they look like they're going to go in with is going to be Oubre, Johnson and Bridges and so far they haven't even seen the, the, the young guys haven't even seen the court because Oubre has just played that well like mm-hmm. you just play him 35 minutes a game and just let him go and it's also nice seeing Mikael Bridges come in and just like play well like he, I mean he's not playing great but like he's just really long he's really lanky he's really like good at getting in passing lanes and he's like really fun and he looks maybe a couple of years down the line it can be good also just on cam johnson i i watched the full clippers game and like he came out in like the third quarter and he had his first shot and um you know the commentators were like oh it's just automatic with him and he shot his jumper and it like went in like as well as it can go and i was like fuck that's awesome um and i'm like oh maybe i gave him too much shit like you know remember i told you i was talking to that lady who went to um Went to North Carolina. Yeah, went to North Carolina. She was really upset that I was, like, really low on him. Um, She's like, no, no, he's a really good shooter. And then I was like, oh, that's what she's talking about. Like, he's a really good shooter. And then every time time he touched the ball, I was like, oh, fuck, like, he's going to make it. But then, sadly, he didn't make another shot for the rest of the game. He did shoot 46% from three in his final season at North Carolina. And you do, you watch him though. He's he's kind of really deft moving around screens. He's already got that kind of like body positioning where he can curl, he can come off a screen and flare out. Um, yeah, he's he's good moving off the ball. I would have liked to see him hit more than one three. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's only <laughs> playing 
yeah. 12 minutes a game so well, far. especially since you know talking about Kelly Oubre but, but yeah. another thing I want to talk about is that Devin Booker is like racking up a lot of assists yeah well he... it, it's weird because last year he had the range as the point guard and he never really did it which is fair enough maybe that's not where yeah, he's he at six last year but now he's next to a dude who like you know he's next to a dude in Rubio who all he does is pass the ball and like he's predominantly just a passer and he's averaging eight assists like again small sample size but like so that's that. the thing that that's the thing about Rubio though is Rubio is actually looks really aggressive Rubio is going to the rim every chance he got today anytime he got a mismatch he was going to the rim like he got Joe Ingles matched up under the perimeter he just took him off the dribble to the rim he's like mm-hmm. going for it the thing with Booker that has boosted out to me is that he hasn't been volume shooting he had, like he, he probably mm. would have averaged. I'm not. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but probably about 22. I reckon shot attempts the last two years. Obviously, he's put up pretty elite scoring numbers both of those seasons, and you know he's one of the best scoring two guards that there is in the league. But this season, he he hasn't had those like crazy shooting totals, and I think <laughs> he's averaging so far through the season the exact same, like give or take 0.3 of a shot. Per oh. game. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. It feels, no, like, right. he's, it feels like he's operating much more much more within himself. And I feel like that's yeah, like down, to, yeah, down to Rubio and Rubio. And, and Baines gets a lot of credit as well because they're running so many nice actions um, with Baines, Booker and Ubre where Baines will catch the ball um, on, a 40, on the 45 and then they'll run a dribble handoff to either Booker or Ubre coming from the wing. And then that gives them a head of steam going towards basket and it's, mm. it's working. Someone who can actually just initiate and execute those basic plays mm. like really unlocks your offense rather than being like, anyway, 37-year-old Tyson Chandler and Rashawn Holmes are our centers this year. Let's go try and be good. Yeah. It just, yeah. yeah. Again, speaking back to just having like solid veterans around helps so much. But the reason we're seeing a lot of Baines is because, one, DeAndre Ayton failed a drug test. Um, also, there was a lot of stuff on Twitter. It's like, look, the Suns start winning for once in their lives. And, like, one of the best players gets drug tested. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he's going to miss 25 games for having a banned substance, which is a diuretic. Um, and that's banned because it can mask other things in your system, whether that be recreational drugs or performance-enhancing drugs. Um, it's a bit... Well, it's very shit. It's very shit. That's like, a good pun. Yeah. It's a good pun. Well, fuck. I actually just found out that it makes you pee. It doesn't make you poop. Oh. Yeah. Shout out to mum for telling me that because I was just I was explaining to mum one thing that I thought was really really funny about this is that um, after DeAndre Ayton's statement came out, he said, "Look, I'm really sorry. I didn't know I was taking it. I think like obviously his agent must have been in Woj's ear because Woj was saying like a lot of good things about him, and Woj was like, oh, look, you know the players' union is going to try and fight it. They don't reckon he did anything wrong.'" And then he tweeted again and he said, "Oh, um, just letting you know, follow-up tests had no um, had no signs of illegal drugs." And it's like, well, that's why he took the that's fucking the diuretic. Point. Yeah, that's the whole point of the fucking diuretic. I was like, yeah, yeah. good on you, I was like, that's mad. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe it's a bit stiff, but DeAndre, be better. The NBA publishes yeah. a list of everything that is is illegal, yeah. um, like all the banned substances. And if you go to your doctor and your doctor is like, oh... Yeah, you have to be prescribed yeah. a diuretic. And your doctor's like, oh, have this. And you just say to your doctor, does it have any of the following substances in it? And your doctor looks at it and says... Yeah. No. Or well, yes. And then he's, you don't... his doctor's the Phoenix Suns team doctor as yeah. well. So uh, I don't know what's going on. Who knows? On. Maybe he's just going down to like the you know like the Glendale Arizona local GP practice. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, it sucks. It sucks. But don't, I feel don't a lot let better. it rain on your parade. I feel like... a lot better 
with Baines there, just a solid dude. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I, I feel like we can we can still survive without Aiden, and we did today. Like, you know, the Jazz are your pick for the fucking next seven NBA championships, and we, we played, <laughs> next six we played them tough today. So, well, going from a fan in the room who is very optimistic about his team to another, well, look, you've been more optimistic than the last four years. Me, who isn't as optimistic as the last four years, a Golden State fan. Um, so today they won against New Orleans and it was all happy-go-lucky, you know, um, Steph had a good game. I think he had like, he was like plus 30 in 30 minutes or something crazy. Um, I'm not here to talk about the game we won against New Orleans where their best player is injured, Drew Holiday wasn't playing, and Brandon Ingram had a bad game. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the two games where Didn't we got Brandon absolutely... Ingram dropped like 30 today? Yeah, on like 20-something shots. He's 26. Um... I'm here to talk about Steve Kerr, um, and he does go on to fix this in New Orleans, right? But in the game against OKC, I, I think this really hit a nerve with me because I was up at six in the morning just because I need to go to work, and I was like, "Sweet man, like Golden State and OKC, they start at six thirty a.m. I'll get half an hour in before I have to go for a drive. That's awesome. You know, get to watch basketball in the morning." And then I was watching basketball, and I was just fucking, fucking disgusting, disgusting <laughs> as we both know, um, and it, like. So Draymond played his usual allotment of minutes. Amari Spellman played 24. Eric Pascal played 24. And Marquis Chris played 23 minutes. That is a lot of minutes for pure fours. I mean, Draymond's obviously... Draymond, he's great. But, you know, he's going to soak up a couple of those four minutes. And these guys have... I mean, Eric Pascal, maybe he'll be good in five years. I don't know about now. We both know the Marquis Chris experiment hasn't worked in four different places now. I think it was proven today because he only got 10 minutes. But Steve Kerr's playing all these bigs, just trying to, like patch together all these bigs and it's like well that's not what we've done for the last four years what we've done is we've gone small and going small's worked and when we're big it's really just like token minutes where Andrew Bogut will start both halves and maybe maybe he plays if we're going up against like a DeMarcus Cousin type um and so like Steve Kerr's still sticking to the beautiful game and he's still trying to get like a lot of passing action and he came out this morning and said you know we could play Steph like James Harden but that's not what we're going to do and it's like that's great like I completely love it that we're here to pass the ball, play the beautiful game, you know, Steph pick and roll, uh, Steph, Steph and Draymond pick and roll, pass it out to Draymond, and he swings it, they swing it again. But when it ends up as a fucking Amari Spellman contested mid-range, or like a Glenn Robinson the third missed three, like, it's not very beautiful. Well, that's the reason why I don't think you can go small as easily, because when you were going small, it was worst-case scenario... A small ball five, i.e. Draymond, or even someone big like Looney or Bogut, but mm. then your wings were like in the 2015, yeah, 16, 16, 2000, yeah, 14, 15, 15, 16, it was Barnes and Iguodala. And then after that, it was Iguodala and Durant. So, yeah, obviously, the, we're going the, from the drop off down to Swaggy Pool as your nominal, you know, your nominal wing. three or Jacob Evans, you know, like it's just not, mm. it's not what it was. Well, and it, it, yeah, with with an ecosystem like the Warriors have established where everything plays into each other so... There's so much nuance. One thing feeds into another and the fact that there's now two major issues in that you have no quality fives. Looney's still out. Do you know when he'll be back? Uh, it's a hamstring that... He was supposed to be back by now, but mm. yeah, sort of hung about. So Looney's out in an indeterminate amount of time and then your options, at, your options at the five are playing Draymond as a small ball four, which that means that you have to have a shit wing come in and slide up. Or it's um, Pascal or 
Well, I was not happy with Steve Kerr because I was like, look, why don't we try going small? Why don't we try doing that? And then I got really stuck into like a Warriors Twitter like wormhole and like Warriors Reddit. And it was really, it was a sad time for me after that OKC game. And, and what people were saying is like, oh, what if we just like bring Mark Jackson back? Because like theoretically, right? Because when Mark Jackson was there, they were like really low in the passes and assists. And it was just like Steph pick and roll. You know, Clay, Clay, Clay never dribbled then. But it was always just pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. Or at uh, David Lee, you post up. And it's like, well, why don't they just run pick and rolls nonstop with Steph and like um, D'Angelo Russell? And it's like, fuck, that's not a bad idea. But then Steve Kerr came out against New Orleans today and he, I mean, you made a funny joke off air where he goes like, the Marquise Chris experiment's already over because he played under 10 minutes today. Um, and they're 10 minutes where the two dudes ahead of him in the rotation are both injured and literally can't take his 10 minutes. But he started Swaggy Pool. Um, so he started Draymond at the five and then he had Swaggy Pool at the, you know, two, three, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then played Steph's cousin-in-law, Damian Lee, 28 minutes off the bench. He got, he got like 20 today. And he was like, it was on poor shooting, but like he was aggressive. He was shooting. He was the dude that was, they were swinging to. He got the shots up and it was amazing because like, at least he's like a morsel of shooting. And then... A morsel. I mean, like we, maybe we shouldn't have got rid of, maybe we shouldn't have got rid of Alfonso McKinney, who's at least a three-sized person just to bring in Marquise Chris for two games and say, oh fuck, look, we had fun in preseason, but... Yeah. And, now, and they literally can't like, they literally can't cut and sign a player because they're up against the hard cap until like March when they can like muck about with like two ways has there been any sightings of Smilaguch no I've seen him on the bench he's (laughs) he's wrapped up because in theory you'd be happy playing him at the four and Draymond at the five or vice versa yeah yeah Uh, well I I hope we're there soon because like you'll let the Clippers win go because obviously the Clippers are arguably the best the best team in the league but losing to OKC and Shea Gillies Alexander is just like cooking out like he's good but like he shouldn't be cooking out hard especially when Draymond's still on the court it's I don't know um and then I heard people saying um it's the D'Angelo Russell fit is just it's just not made to happen no but it's been three games it's been three games but this this is the overreaction pod this is this is us overreacting I want to vent so D'Angelo Russell is a pick and roll point guard and that's great when you know Karis LeVert gets injured and you've got Jarrett Allen rolling and like you know, you've got really, you've got good rollers and you've got good shooters around you. But when it comes to setting a pick with like, you know, Amari Spellman and you don't have shooters around you, it's looking real ugly. And I think I heard his numbers are, um, no, apparently I don't. He actually, D'Angelo Russell had his first good game and I say good in inverted commas because he had 24 points on nine of 21 shooting and it was like three or 10 from three. It's, it's just, it's not, yeah. It's it's very early. It's no reaction. But if he's going to be a pick and roll point guard, if that's what he succeeds at, let's see when Willie Collison comes back. If he can be that really good roller, I mean, if he if he was that really good roller, he'd still be <laughs> Sacramento. It's just it's fuck, it's just awful. Yeah. But then if you are giving the ball to D'Angelo and saying, all right, run a pick and roll with Kevon Looney or someone, then Steph hasn't got the ball in his hand, and it's great if he's off ball and like you know he's really dangerous off ball. But that's a waste of one of the greatest offensive players of our lifetime. Yeah, it is a waste. The beauty of a Steph Draymond pick and roll was always that yeah. Steph Steph's going to shoot it, and you feel pretty good about that. But if he gets the ball to Draymond, like one of the best decision makers, like regularly averages seven plus assists, mm. has no issue being a primary or a secondary ball handler. That's fantastic. In theory, it should work with you know uh, D'Lo and. 
Draymond pick and roll as well. But the, yeah, the, the, it all comes back to the issue being who the fuck is off ball, who the fuck is around. Yeah, the, who, who, yeah. yeah. who's um, floating around that you are comfortable getting the ball to? And the answer is. I yeah, mean, I still, I still haven't seen Alec Burks wear a jersey yet, so maybe maybe just hope there. Yeah, but I mean, that's probably... Yeah, yeah grasping at straws. Man, Alec Burks in like 2012, yeah. it looked like he was going to be like, you know, like a really rugged, good, kind of like a Wes Matthews type, like a really good 16 points a game, good D, and he did his knee. Do you remember the Burke and Burks backcourt? Yeah, I do. The law firm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Alec Burks and Trey Burke, for those of you playing at home. <laughs> Trey Burke. He's come a long way from being well, the ninth overall pick. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm done with Golden State. I don't know if you want to like rub it in. But Trey Burke is, you know, not getting back up, really, not really getting back up point guard minutes on an undefeated Philly team, which was undefeated um, without Joel Embiid until today. Yeah. They, they are good this at is my this is my Philly analysis. They fucking big. Yeah, that's my big. that's my analysis. And Josh Richardson is playing a lot of the backup um, backup one minutes, which is really nice. I, I really like that. Just like obviously they've got heaps of wings, and I love seeing Matisse Tybul come in and just like as a disruptor. Like is he as is he as disruptive as all of the you know, in actual game action? As all of the hype. I mean, yeah, for a rookie, like obviously you see some dude average like fifty steals in college. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, can't wait to see him get two in in the NBA. Yeah, and like I mean, he gets two, like, one poke. <laughs> two in the NBA puts you like fourth in the league. For and seven. he's probably in usually you know usually rookies don't really play well on good teams, but he's in a role where if he scores zero points, that's fine. And like every point you get is house money. You just hope the defense respects him a little bit from. Um, from three and that's going to come along with the season hopefully because if he can like play playoff minutes literally just as a dude that can stand in the corner and poke balls <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah nice poking, that's balls, amazing. poking balls in the corner that is nice um, I want to talk a little bit about your favourite Northwest Division team the Utah Jazz uh-huh. maybe just favourite team full stop if the Warriors are <laughs> losing who knows nah, never, never changed teams um, imagine changing sport teams that's sacrilegious sacrilegious <laughs> sacrilegious I can't imagine I can't imagine um, the Utah Jazz they added two key figures over the off season one from America one from I think he's Bosnian yep. Bosnia Herzegovina Mike Conley acquired in a trade from the Grizzlies Finally out of Memphis onto a championship contender, looks great. Bogdanovic acquired on a free agent deal from the Indiana Pacers, looks like he's going to be a safety valve, security kind of um, player for when it all breaks down. Coming into this game, Mike Conley was shooting 23% from the field and 17% from three. And then he came into today's game against the Suns and finished with one point on 0 of 6 from the field. So, Mike Conley <laughs> is posting literally... He's, he's washed. He's yeah, looking very washed Literally right dirt poor. While this is the overreactions pod, you really don't want to say that he's washed like three games into the season. Yeah. But fuck, but he, fuck look he looks good. washed. <laughs> so, my big takeaway from today is that Conley is not what everyone spent the entire offseason saying oh Mike Conley is exactly what everyone Donovan needs. Mitchell needs no everyone being everyone everyone's fucking on the rim of the Jazz and I was I've you know overreaction pod maybe it'll come back to bite me I've been a bit more reserved about what I think they're capable of and the reason is because where Phoenix is not an exceptional defensive team and the Jazz struggled to get to 
96 points today. Yeah. The offense in the last eight minutes consisted of them being in the bonus and Gobert getting fouled away from the ball a couple of times and going to the free throw line and knocking it down. You can't rely on being in the bonus and getting those little gimmies. <laughs> and you also can't yeah. rely on Gobert shooting 100% from the free throw line yeah, in the fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah. So when it came down to it with Javon Carter defending Mike Conley or Ricky Ribeiro defending Mike Conley because they, you know, they were in and out in the fourth, um, and Kelly Oubre and Devin Booker floating through Donovan Mitchell, who yeah. ended up with 25 points, but it wasn't an efficient 25 points. Yeah, yeah. The two small guards, Mitchell and Conley, they couldn't get anything done. Yeah. Nothing. The only person who was able to stabilise their offence is Bogdanovich. He's playing just over 24 minutes a game. He's averaging 21 points on 50% from the field and 43 from three. He just looks like exactly what they thought they were going to get. It's that person who, you know, he, he, he had a fast break and one. He had a little off the dribble. Um, he's, like off a the per- dribble he's a perfect second Yeah, option. off the dribble dunk where he took it past Devin Booker on a, on a closeout and then he had a spot up three. It's like literally everything that you need from this dude, he's just providing, mm. which is great. It's just maybe the Jazz don't have that championship ceiling well, like we all thought because Conley I can't say it enough he looks so <laughs> he's bad very washed the whole reason I picked Utah to win the title is literally because their problems have always been they just don't have enough offensive dynamism when it comes down to it and yet you can't you can't just bank on you being in the bonus so I'm like oh look they added a really really capable ball handler in Conley who shot the ball really well the year before and like looked healthy because he finished the season and they added like you know a perfect second option next to another scoring wing but if one of those dudes isn't who he says he was like if he's not Mike Conley of old then my whole theory goes out the wall I've just lost $20 and (laughs) it's it's like like, well fuck like I was I was riding them so hard saying like yep because they fixed their problems they've added a second ball handler and then if second ball handler's not going to be there because the story last year and even when he was a rookie Donovan Mitchell he is one of those dynamic offensive players, but in the last eight minutes of a game, he just... You can't defense, rely... Yeah, you can't rely on Montreal to win you a game. Yeah, he's too... He's, yeah, well, exactly right. He's a, he's a real streaky shooter from outside, and he's one of the most athletic people we... You know, you all see the dunks on your Instagram feed, NBA.com, you see him all over YouTube. Yeah, like, he's, you know, crazy. He's got the capacity to go for 40 on every night, but at the end of games, defense would just key in on him, yeah. and he's not the sort of player who can shoulder that burden, and he's not hasn't developed yet into an even good playmaker for other people. So getting Conley, who's a can, that can be a high or low, low usage player, who's one of the most efficient scorers from most levels of the court at the point guard spot in the last 10 years, you know, seemed like hand in glove. But if Conley is, yeah, in fact, was, you're not going to be as good as you thought you were, which means that the first round picks that you shipped over to Memphis all of a sudden aren't 26th overall, they're 15th. You gave up Grayson Allen, who's getting minutes now and looking okay in Memphis. Oh, I don't think you ever cry home about giving up Grayson Allen. No, you not even I know, you have I know a chance what you to get know, what you thought you Mike Conley was, but all of, a sudden, like, all of a sudden you start adding up these bits and pieces and it's like maybe they would have been better just keeping Kyle Corver and Jay Crowder on the roster you know saving those first round picks as ammunition that they can use for a trade this season for someone else you know yeah yeah, for the next Mike Conley though so I'm thinking like yeah they sort of had to do this because I mean I'm high other people are high that they could have won I mean I don't want to say like it's already over there's been what is it three four games yeah the overreaction but if this is yeah if this is it then I think they are no longer title contenders um 
but obviously overreaction Mike Conley could just have had a shit month maybe like some maybe, maybe he's got a stomach bug maybe he's, he's got a stomach bug he's got the shit yeah, uh, Joel Embiid speaking of someone who is um, a title contender and has looked like one also in the Northwest Division the Charlotte I thought, Hornets I thought this is what I thought this is who you're going to mention when you talk about my favourite team in the Northwest but the Denver Nuggets yeah well I know that the Denver Nuggets is like your nominal your nominal second team but I thought I couldn't let the, an option to reference your insane jazz love go the Denver Nuggets I'll tell you what they squeaked past the Phoenix Suns they squeaked yeah. It looks just like last year, though, because they squeaked past Golden State in, like, the exact same game. Like, one show, Hernan Gomez had a block against, like, um, oh, fuck, it was Damian Jones. Yeah, <laughs> started my anti-love affair for Damian Jones. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so I again, hate affair. Tori Craig, Tori Craig had a um, yeah. had a block against, who was it? Booker. Booker. That's two clutch games that you've lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just put that together. Booker, yeah. Booker had the last shot and he slipped as he was going to land with his drive and Tory Craig came over from the weak side and just, it was like the easiest block of his yeah. life. To be fair, the last shot was Rubio's, uh, which which put it into overtime. Did you see what happened there? Yeah, I did. The half-court yeah. shot that just happened to be a shooting foul. Like like you would ever foul at half-court and like you would call it, which is fucking bullshit. And then he nailed it all three. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, good on him. Um, Yeah, so... I... Just a side note. Sorry to interrupt you. I was listening to... Uh, heat check on on the ringer today, and John Gonzalez, who I just I just love John Gonzalez. He's just a funny guy, good host, funny guy, respect. He referred to Ricky Rubio as Rick Rubio, and I just thought that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. I just in the car, just started chuckling on the freeway. Anyway, Rick Rubio, as he shall henceforth be known. Please continue. Um. So one thing about um teams in these four you know four three four games is you got to watch out for really poor shooting or really good shooting against them or something like that so utah one thing that you can say is that they've got the fourth or is it the fourth like best the opponents shoot the fourth best so far in threes against them um so you know opponents are just shooting really good and obviously you hope that'll regress to the mean because if you look at their defensive numbers they're in the top 10 across the board at like every other aspect apart from three um, the Denver Nuggets are shooting 40, 43% from three so far as a team. Scorching. And this is like before Wancho Hernan Gomez has even checked into a game. Yeah. To, I'm a big fan of. Um, so like, yeah, obviously this is going to regress to the mean. You're not going to shoot that high. You're not going to shoot better than Steph did like in the last couple of years um, as a team. Obviously that's not going to happen. But I mean, they look good now. You, like you hope that when you do start, you start off hot and then you regress back to the mean. That's what you want to do, especially if you're plans are to win 55 plus games and their overs looking really nice right now yeah well they've got you've got to get a couple of those early ones if you are going to push that high you know high 50s low 60s which seems like they're sailing you got to get a couple of those early ones get a couple couple of those easy early ones against a team like the suns coming through with it you know like pulling out that close win being able to actually finish that game you know you don't want to get too like hot takey but I suppose that's what we're here for, to be hot takey. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing that differentiates a really, really good team from a team that's going to be lower in the seed settings. Is that when it is tight, you you do pull it out. You don't lose those close games. You do what you can to do. Well, it looks like a team that's just been to two game sevens. Like you know, everyone was saying last year, like, oh, you know, you got a better record than the Warriors, but there's no way you'll ever beat them. But now they're pretty much well. 
and you don't want to call them grizzled, but they've been through they've been through the ringer, they've been through the playoffs, and they've all proven that they can perform apart from Will Barton. Don't worry <laughs> about that. Um, and they've all you know they've been through it, and they know what they need to do to get to at least the conference finals now. And you know I reckon like why not? Obviously, I'm still I still reckon the Utah Jazz will win. I'm just going to hope on the law of averages that uh, Mike Conley does come back to Mike Conley's body. Yeah, bring him <laughs> uh, back, Monstars, please. I mean. Like out of out of all the teams we've seen so far, I reckon the three best teams are the Clippers, the Nuggets, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, well, I mean, having the Timberwolves in that statement is just bizarre. But Carl Anthony Towns is on a tear, and Andrew Wiggins is actually playing okay. Nah, I can't believe I said it, but he's playing okay. He he played okay for a quarter. Like I, I'm really skeptical on Andrew Wiggins, Mm, and like. What really pisses me off is that he always does these things like he'll have like one good game and that'll last with him for the rest of the season. Yeah. So like he had a good rookie season and it's lasted with him for like this whole fucking five years. He had a good sophomore. Sophomore. Was, and was, then it was down. Yeah, well, he averaged yeah. 23 as a sophomore. But like he's had he's had his one good game and now he's going to like he can just play cr- like crap for the rest of the month. He's going to shoot 41% from the field for the rest of the season. And it's just like you're watching you're watching Carl Anthony Towns who hit seven threes the other day. Um, and he's getting like three steals, two blocks. Like he's averaging uh, 32, 15, and five in 33 minutes, right? That sounds insane, but <laughs> that's literally about the same line that he averaged two years ago in the second half of the season. He put up 29, 14, five with two and two that, you know, second half of that season. But so maybe, that's not, not maybe not seven threes. Yeah, maybe not, not, seven, not seven threes, yeah. but you know that he can get it done anyway. But he's making step backs and stuff. Yeah, but uh, like it might not be something where he regresses to the mean. Like we've oh, got oh, evidence yeah. that he is this yeah, good. Yeah. How does Jarrett Culver look? Has he gotten any? He any does look? not look good at all. He is mm. getting for a team that I mean every team needs wings. For a team that needs wings, he is getting token minutes. Like yeah. he's playing fourteen minutes a game. Um, I have them here. Um, he's averaging two points a game on fourteen minutes. It's rough. And, like, he's getting minutes because they drafted him so high and they traded up for him, but you're better off just giving those minutes to um, Jake Lehman. Well, you know, that's you know, fucking <laughs> great. That's a grim thing to say Jake about this good. overall Dr- pick. Jake Lehman's good, good at basketball. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Jared Culver so was drafted Culver, sixth three months ago. He was drafted as an offensive creator. And yeah. He can't create offense, which is a pickle so far. Yeah, that's not what you want with a pick that high. Um, someone who can create offense and has shown maybe that he has a bit of a knack for it. How good are the fucking segues? So tonight? good, so good. We're actually so <laughs> professional. I'm not even wearing shoes, but we're <laughs> so professional. We're going to swap conferences. Trey... So you're going to say we're going to swap shoes. shoes. No, Trey, young, Trey yeah. motherfucking young. <laughs> this dude is literally insane. If you want to talk yeah. about an overreaction, the overreaction is going to be that the Hawks are going to be in the conference finals and Trey Young <laughs> is going to be an All-NBA third-team player. Yeah, That's the overreaction. Through three games, he's averaging 34, assi- 34 points. There'll be a lot of assists if he was averaging 34. 34 points and nine assists with like seven boards a game. He's shooting... 51% from the field and a scorching 52% from mm. deep. The Hawks are 2 and 1, and he's just running the show with a, a viciousness. He, he looks so good doing it. Yeah, he, it's, it's literally, it's just insane. He, um, the, when they played the Magic, he had a couple of possessions matched up on Markel Fultz, and it was just like the two highly drafted polarizing guards of the last couple of drafts, and he just oh, cooked yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. He just cooked him. 
I, I don't know what to say. I watched that game as well, and it's just like, it's just so much fun to watch him. It's like watching Steph a couple of years ago, and like that's not breaking any news having that comparison. But it's just like he can do anything at any moment. Like when he pulled up against Detroit from the logo, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's it's a bit cliche to say like, oh, you know, Trey from the logo. But it's like, I don't know. I think it's just because he's smaller as well. Like it just looks like he's heaving it and it's going in. And he's wearing ugly shoes and he's got like really cool celebrations. And it's just like, yeah, fuck, everything's gone for him and right he now. Is, he is so like he is actually tiny. And when he's out there, even next to a dude like Fultz, he looks tiny. But then he just shimmies around a screen, pulls up a three. It goes in. He comes back with one of his cool little celebrations, and then, you know, like the Hawks are rolling. The Hawks are two and one. I'm I'm still waiting on that second dude to pop. Like if you read our um, season preview, which you can find on Medium at the Deep Two, um, yeah, we the, he still needs a second star alongside him, and obviously Atlanta reckon that must be DeAndre Hunter because they invested quite a bit in him. Could or be, maybe could be John Collins. On, could be John Collins. Maybe it's already on the roster, but I mean. Like, yes, uh, Trey Young's killing it. He's averaging whatever he's averaging, 34 points. But, like, obviously, it's early in the season. Um, there's actually no overreaction here. I don't know why I'm tempering it. <laughs> but let's just let's just wait and see. Can I just say, on that Orlando game, um, it must have been really fucking weird for Philly fans to watch Marco Fultz throw a post-entry pass to Michael Carter-Williams. Like, <laughs> that was a thing that happened. And it's like, what the fuck am I watching? Like... <laughs> Like I'm still I'm still gonna watch the game because Trey Young's on the court, yeah. but like what the fuck am I doing here? Bizarro yeah, Bizarro World two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. Michael Fultz is playing alright. Yeah, he is. And he's he's filling a role that was like desperately needed for Orlando as a backup guard. Yeah, well he comes on and talk about a lack of dynamism in Utah's late game offense. He just provides exactly that because DJ Augustine is like pretty You know what he's doing. Yeah, he, he's pretty he's pretty steady. You give, give you 12. Year 12 yeah, you give you 12 and 5. Unspectacular. He's never going to make a play that makes you go, oh, fuck yes. Fultz comes in and he's the exact opposite of that. He's really dynamic. He's, you know, talk about another dude who's quite herky-jerky. His change of pace on his dribble drives is insane. And he's flashing that athleticism that had people salivating when he was playing as a freshman at Washington in what seems like an actual eternity ago. Um, yeah, the, the the reason why he was drafted number one is because he had all of the combo guard skills that you could ask for, and he had that athleticism and that big frame, and he's putting it to good use. He's averaging what, like twelve and like twelve and four and a half in you know maybe twenty minutes a game. Twelve and four and a half in twenty minutes, minutes game. game. There we go, nailed it. <laughs> that, was that was good. good. Um, one thing that I would like to say about him is that he's actually taken his jump shot which is, like, it's not always going in, well, but, like, he's taking, yeah, it, which, taking it. For a dude that, like, quote, had the yips, unquote, um, it's good to see that he's not afraid to take it. Yeah, he attempted a couple the other day, a couple of threes, and there's no hesitation there. He's Yeah, he hit two. He actually took a heat check three right after that. Did you see that? Were you watching the game? No, I didn't watch it. He full hit two threes, and they were, like, catch and shoots. Like, yep, that's probably an easier shot. He dribbles down, takes a heat check, and it's like, all right, man, like, yeah, play two down, games. Sit your first three, like, you know. Yeah. We had a Frank Kaminsky heat check today that yeah. uh, didn't hit the rim. <laughs> didn't hit the rim. So, anyway, there's that. Someone else that might be challenging the Orlando Magic and Michael Fultz for playoff seeding, who I honestly didn't even factor them in in terms of being a serious challenger, but it's Miami Heat. And through a couple of games, I've been really impressed with the Miami Heat. With the Kendrick Nunns of the Kendrick world. Nunn is, like, <laughs> insane. I just picked him up in, picked him up in fantasy the other day because I was like, 
Well, he had like 40 points in the preseason against going up, going back and forth against James Harden. Playing lock-up D, he's attacking off the dribble, he's facilitating and he's shooting threes. That's pretty much everything you want. Yeah. This team hasn't played with Jimmy Butler yet. Butler yet. He's missed all three games with the birth of his child. So he's not even there. The team's 2-1. and one. Dude, like Justice Winslow and Kendrick Nunn are like locking it up. This team's going to be nasty defensively, especially mm. when you slide... Jimmy back into that lineup, and then someone like Bam, who I know you were, he, he was your most pick most improved. Yeah, you're yeah, so really high on Bam. He he's played really really well. The other day he had he was like nine, eight, and seven. Yeah, with like yeah. three blocks. Yeah, no, he had, he had he had more. He I think there was there was one where he had like 16, 10, and eight with a couple of blocks, and he yeah. I wouldn't have picked him to like rack up these assist numbers. Yeah, well, like, I, I don't know. I, I need to look into the numbers. I need to know if like he's actually like a good facilitator for his. We for his, for we his talked peers, about or? him in comparison with Montrez Harrell, yeah, yeah. Other, like a couple of episodes ago, where we talked about two dudes who just fit that athletic rim roll five stereotype, but they're actually a bit more skillful than you think. Mm. Down the stretch of the game against the Bucks, which they won by five points in overtime. Uh, he hit 10 and 10 from the line in the fourth quarter in overtime. Mm. He was getting fouled, and not all of that was, you know, like cheap fouls. Some of, the, some of it was that they wanted the ball to go to Bam on like an inbound, and so then they fouled him. But some of it was, you know, like a couple on a post up, one on a putback. So they're young dudes. Duncan Robinson, who was like the 55th pick in last <laughs> year's draft, who literally played Division Three in college for yeah. two years. He's, he's on the court with five minutes left against the against the Bucks and yeah. you don't feel bad about it. There's just a whole bunch of like, like kind of like island of misfit parts. That are um, speaking of island of misfits, fucking um, Goran Dragic, who literally has one knee. He's wearing that Tim Duncan like metal brace on his knee and like he is struggling to jump at all. But like he's just one of those like nifty, you know, a stereotype, but nifty European dudes that just like know how to play the game. Like every European point guard that's ever come into the league. Yeah, yeah, Nando exactly. Pablo Prigioni. <laughs> yeah. That's I think that's all three. Um <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's and like he's coming in giving you good minutes. He's actually finishing games even though he can't jump, which I'm just finding like amazing. He's playing basketball which is pretty much predicated on jumping. Um one other thing that I thought we were gonna to touch on earlier, but the two teams that went to India uh, combined 0-7 with Indiana and the Kings. Um, whether they're having their own individual problems, whether it be Turner and Sabonis or, you know, losing Bagley or, you know, there's, there's quite a few things going on. Um, they, it, I don't know if it's a coincidence that they both went on this massive trip to India, came back. Obviously, fatigue's a big thing. They're playing like they're halfway through the season. Maybe they, they all played. got deli belly. Maybe they all got deli belly. Is that where Matthew Delavadova spits in your food? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really proud of myself for that one. Um, now, one thing that I'm really pissed off with the Kings is like, I mean, you wrote the article about Darren Fox, how he's going to be in this fun, zippy team. But like the thing that Dave Yeager was on the hot seat all season last season. And it's like, oh, you know, if you win it, if you lose another game, like you're out. And he was just like, well, fuck it. Like, I hate my boss. Uh, yeah. Run, run, run. He's just telling the teams, like, run down their throats. Like, just run, run, run. And it worked because, obviously, he's got some of the fastest dudes and one of the fastest dudes in Fox. And, like, he went out and won games. Um, I mean, he still got fired at the end of the year. He got but... fired not for the basketball result, but because the relationship between him and everyone above him was just, like, toxic. Dave Vega seems like a good coach, but also not necessarily, like, the easiest person to get along with. Yeah. Because yeah. um, he's too... 
he can join my theoretical team with who else is on my team? Demontis Sabonis and Jaleel Okafor. Yeah. And it's going to be coached by a dude telling him to run. Tell him to run, yeah. Jaleel, get up the corporate. Anyway, my point was the Kings had the second fastest pace in the league last year. Um, so far with Luke Walton, they're 15th. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, maybe you want to focus more on your half-court sets. Yeah. But like this team isn't really built for that. Yeah, well, De'Aaron Fox struggled in the half court last season, so that's mm. the next step for his game. His efficiency numbers through the first couple of games, or the first four games, have stayed roughly the same as what they were last year. One of the games, he only played like 20 minutes because he was in foul trouble the entire game. He has had a couple of moments where he'll just like... His speed doesn't just translate in transition, it's also really evident in kind of like quickness like little darts here and there so he'll take someone off the dribble and then just like make a nice finish at the rim in a half court set that's fine and in theory having a couple of players on the wing like they do with bogey and healed and bielitsa it should provide that kind of half court spacing that you need i think bag- losing bagley really does hurt them especially when the other big men in their rotation are Lackluster. Deadman hasn't looked good. Rashawn Holmes, apart from a couple of nice dunks today, has looked <laughs> awful. Yeah, literally, those dunks were amazing, though. Yeah, they were really nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I are so bullish on the Kings. And, you know, four games in, so we'll see where it goes. But like we talked about with Denver, where if you are going to be a good team, you need to rack up those early, easy wins. Mm. The Kings are just digging it, you know, digging a hole for themselves, making it harder if they are going to yeah. finish well. It's like, not like you're Phoenix and you're 2-2. Two two. Like, you're 0-4. Like, that yeah. is literally the biggest hole in the league Yeah, 0-4 right is real. And with regards to the Pacers, my whole thing is I, I think I might have completely just overlooked Miami as a team that might potentially, you know, be there in... In, um, I know what you mean. I, pick, the I picked the Pacers for fourth. Yeah, for fourth I, I picked the Pacers to be the fourth seed as well, and I think Miami might be the fourth seed, and the Pacers might be, you know, mm. might be early days again. Yeah. But oh, we are overreacting. We're overreacting, yeah. but the Magic, the Magic, the Hawks, and the Bulls all look better than the Pacers, and if that's the case for even half of the season, or even until December when Oladipo comes back, the Pacers might not make the playoffs, mm. especially when you consider that they've got a decision to make between their two. Big man, like maybe this isn't the team that we that we see going forward. Yeah. I don't know. But if you're them, you'll also say, "Oh, why don't we just wait till Old Depot gets back?" Because we don't want to make any you know, formative decisions until we haven't seen him with their with our best player. The other thing with them as well is that this is their type of team is built for the postseason, where it does slow down and size becomes more important. So if they went, if they could manage to creep into the postseason, like maybe they play you know, not one of the best two in the East in a series and they can eke it out. But it's a long way down the track and it looks like there's a lot of losing between now and then, if that's to become a reality. Uh, one final thing before we get kicked out of the studio. Uh, Devontae Graham. Like I said his name before, I'm going to say it again. Uh, today he had 12 assists to three turnovers. Um, he is playing as many minutes as Terry Rozier while getting paid the minimum, averaging 17.5 points and 7.3 assists. Um, and James Borrego is like, all right, Charlotte, get out there. Um, jack as many threes as you want. PJ Washington, like, I don't even know who the fuck you are, but you can shoot, yeah. So right. go out and shoot. <laughs> and then it's just Devontae Graham and who's their other guy? Dwayne Bacon. Uh, Malik Monk's not actually doing that much, but he's, I mean, he's a heat check dude off the bench. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> damning a faint praise. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, Charlotte are playing pretty fun. Like, they're getting a lot of shots up and they're having, you know, they look like they're having a good time and, like, they've actually won a game, I think, a game or two. 
Terry Rogier looks bad on this contract from day one. Mm-hmm. Terry Rogier is like the elephant in the room. Like, well, everyone's shooting threes. That's fun. Terry Rogier goes three or ten from like the floor and gets two, two, you know, two, yeah, two assists, two turnovers. Devontae Graham's good man. He played at Kansas uh, in college for a couple of years, and Kansas has a long history of um, bringing out really good point guards who maybe they're not that good in the NBA, but in college, Frank Mason was National Player of the Year at Kansas. <laughs> couple of years ago for you real um for brooklyn homies tyshawn taylor a couple of years ago maybe they really aren't but the NBA. Maybe you're right. uh did you are you talking about Devonte graham because you voluntarily watched the Charlotte hornets no no no, no I, I i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemies yeah because i i i will not like i just wanted to <laughs> anyways nice pj washington hit seven threes great sounds good malik monk posted some of the worst offensive numbers like in literally every single category we're talking efficiency we're talking ball handling we're talking shooting from every level of the court in his first two seasons um the dude was drafted to be like the you know like the the next 20 point scorer of the franchise and he hasn't played over 16 minutes a game in any of the two seasons like he this wasn't a good team wouldn't be hard to get opportunities over jeremy lamb you know jeremy lamb's a good player but Yep. Anyway, the Charlotte Hornets suck. <laughs> scary Terry. The only thing scary about him is the $19 million per year attached to his name. Or his field goal percentage. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a world where Graham continues being, you know, better, more impactful, what do you do? Because Terry Rosier's contract, you know, we talked about, the, we talked about the Nene test last week. Yeah. When we talked about all the rookie extensions, the Nene test, basically, if you didn't listen last week, is named after Nene Hilario, long-time Washington Wizards, Houston Rockets stalwart. It's basically like, is, is the contract tradable once it's been signed? The day it's been and signed. And literally the day it's been signed, 29 other GMs would tell you the only way that they are trading for Terry Rizzi's contract is if the Charlotte Hornets attach an unprotected first-round pick to it. So it's untradable. It failed with flying colours. I wouldn't rule it out because Chris Paul got traded and John Wall's still out there. Chris Paul, yeah, Chris Paul was maybe like the Chris Paul was maybe like the ninth best point guard in the league last year. All I'm saying is that it would be a very Charlotte move to like you know trade like Nick Batum and Terry Rozier for like John Wall. Fuck, that's a grim <laughs> trade for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just yeah. yeah. So the Washington uh, I'm really Wizards, sorry I brought that in that, up. That's, yeah, that's in that hypothetical world, the Washington Wizards backcourt would be Bradley Beal, Isaiah Thomas, and Terry Rozier. And I'm not sure I've ever heard anything sadder than that. And Isaac, Isaac Bonga. Bonga. <laughs> Don't forget, <laughs> the 16 point guard. He's literally two years younger than us. Yeah. You know, you know he played in day one? Yeah, no, they started him. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, good on him. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's going to be good in five years. That's that's actually pretty cool. Who knows? And like he's given Wes peanuts. Yeah, well, Mo Wagner as well. Kevin O'Connor's boy, Mo Wagner. Yeah. 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 We'll see where that one lands. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll wait on that one. Yeah. Not going to overreact there. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Sean and this is Dante. Thanks so much. Have a good one. If you like what you're hearing and you want to help us out, remember to follow us on Spotify or leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hit us up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or get in contact with us at deep2podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your support and continued loyalty to the greatest Australian NBA podcast, the Deep 2 NBA podcast, and it is very much appreciated. Make it a great day. Make it a great day.